All right, welcome back to the show. It's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Welcome back. So why were, yeah, you, why, why were you off for two days? I was off for two days because I had a real rough ride with the uh, the second dose of the vaccine. So you, you so, like, like me, got AstraZeneca first time. What did you get second time? I got Moderna. I got the Moderna shot on Sunday. And you felt ill. And, you know, within about seven hours, I was starting to feel real bad. Like I got, I got uh, the symptoms I had were chills. Basically, my body felt really cold, so I was like in bed with like tons of blankets on top of me, trying to stay warm. <laughs> and um, the while the windows closed, beautiful day outside, and I'm sitting there trying to stay warm. Uh, fatigue, but body aches, you know, just aches mm-hmm. and pains all around your body. Uh, Not it, uncommon to go the from similar the, sim- the AstraZeneca and Moderna. There's a number of people who have had that type of reaction. No reason not to get a second dose, though. Um, I got AstraZeneca as my second dose. With no ill effects whatsoever. It's interesting on the vaccination front, we're plateauing across the country on the first dose. It's really a hard slog now to get people um, who haven't already been get that first dose to get the first dose. We've we've hit 78% of people age 12 and over, but we're only going up about a point a week. And second doses right now, you know, 60,000 doses a day, 70,000 doses a day. The lion's share, about 85% of them are second doses. So your second dose, I mean, that's that's what's happening right now is second doses. First dose is really not going up very much. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great uh, very smooth experience at the Victoria Convention Center getting the second dose of the of the shot. The first one I got at a drugstore, the AstraZeneca, was the first shot, and they did warn me as she's putting the as she's putting the needle in. She's saying, you know, we've had a lot of reports of um, people getting <laughs> bad side effects here when they've mixed and matched, and they've had Moderna as their second. I said, yeah, I know, I've heard. So I was kind of braced for it, and I knew it. But on the other hand, it's kind of like. You know, you're going through this thing and you're feeling like you're feeling lousy, but you're thinking like, well, I know it's working, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of normal. This is to be expected. Yeah, in every case, but at least it's working. You know, it's, it's working. working. Yeah, and it's better uh, than getting COVID-19. Yeah, right. you know, you don't want to get that, particularly uh, at certain age groups. So again, um, yeah, everybody out there, get out there and get your second dose. But in particular, you know, I was going through the stats yesterday. The 18 to 24 crowd, everybody would think uh, normally they'd be the, the hard group to get. They're actually probably going to be the number one highest vaccination rate group of people under 40 is going to be that 18 to 24-year-old. So they're not they're not the problem here. It's the people in their 30s who are really lagging of not getting that first dose. So if you're in your 30s out there and you haven't got your first dose, get out there and get it. I ran a, a, a graphic last night again on the communities that have low vaccination rates. We, we're yeah. at 78% province-wide on average. We're well over 80% in many areas of Metro Vancouver. In James Bay Fairfield, where you and I are right now, our neighborhood is 86%. Yeah. But Fort St. John, Dawson Creek, Enderby, Vanderhoof, a uh, number of Williams Lake, a number, Williams Lake's about 62%, but these other uh, towns, uh, Smithers Rural, um, other uh, rural areas in the Peace in the North, they're in their 50% range, and that's just uh, that's just not high enough if you want to achieve herd immunity. Is the government making efforts to get the vaccination rates up in these cities? They are, cities? but there just doesn't se- seem to be a take-up. They had uh, a mm-hmm. special drive-through clinic in Fort St. John a while ago, uh, flew some nurses up there. Nobody, you know, Very few people come out and, and get, get the, uh, the first dose. So okay. that, those are areas of concern, but by and large, most uh, communities are well ahead of the provincial average. But there are a number of towns, particularly in the interior in the north, that just are not accessing the vaccine. 
Okay, let's talk about the wildfire situation, mm. especially the fire that leveled the, the, the poor village of Lytton. And Premier John Horgan did a flyover of Lytton yesterday, along with the uh, Solicitor General Mike Farnworth. I thought they were, they were very kind to think, bring up the Liberal MLA there with them as yeah. well. Um, let's listen to John Horgan here talking about the hard work that's happening right now to fight these fires in B.C. I know that the people behind me at the fire center are working uh, every minute of the day uh, to contain not just the fires there, but right across the province. And I'm confident that uh, they're doing everything that they can. So I have a great deal of uh, concern and I share that with them. But I am confident that everything that can be done is being done from this center here in Kamloops. Okay, where are we at with the uh, effort to fight these fires right now? Well, we're on track to perhaps have the worst fire season of all time. Uh, we're about two weeks ahead of schedule of where we were in 2017, which is one of the worst fire seasons ever. We're at 90,000 plus hectares burned, which again uh, is way beyond what uh, the 10 the year average is and well beyond what was uh, in 2017. So we're early July. Normally it was mid-July uh, where things started to get really bad in 2017, 2018. So we're ahead of that. So by the time we get to mid-July, which is normally the time things start taking a turn for the worse, we're going to be in a world of trouble in terms of fires. We've got, a, uh, as of last night, 11 interface fires. So interface fires mm. are the most concerning because they're in direct threatening communities, right. uh, residences, uh, towns and such. So there's 11 of those out there, more than 500 people on the lines fighting those fires. I haven't checked the website. The, you go to the BC Wall uh, Fire Service Website's got a great dashboard there explaining how yeah. many fires there are, how s- uh, the, the fires of note, which are the more serious ones, not necessarily bigger, but they're near communities and residences, and those are the ones of, of most concern. So we're at the beginning of a, what's going to be a very long um, summer of fire. Okay, the opposition Liberals and the Green Party calling on the government to declare a state of emergency because mm-hmm. of the wildfires, and Solicitor General Mike Farnworth was asked about that yesterday, and here's what he had to say. When a provincial state of emergency is is required, uh, that's based on the advice and the expertise of the men and women in the BC Wildfire Service. And I have every confidence uh, that when they uh, say it's time to, to put one in place, we will put one in place. Okay, well that sounds reasonable that, you know, it's not a political decision. This is a decision mm-hmm. left to the experts. But your thoughts? Yeah, it's, it's left to the Wildfire uh, Service uh, people and uh, the, the staff, the, the experts on this. State of emergency doesn't get rid of fires. It doesn't really no. change a, what, anything. What it do? It, it basically gives uh, Farnworth or his officials the power to seize property, personal, uh, to seize land, seize land um, require people who have a certain degree of, uh, of ability to employ that ability to fight fires. It can he can fix prices, uh, he can suspend travel. Um, but none of these things right now would necessarily, I think, shrink the size of these fires. I mean, but we could get there. I mean, I've talked to farmers about this. I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see a state of emergency, perhaps on a regional basis, because right now it's the Caribou and Kamloops in particular. Those fire regions are where the bulk of the fires are right now, and that's where the interface fires are. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the Lytton fire, and I really feel for the people who have been oh, yeah. impacted by this. Some people have just lost everything. They've lost loved ones. They've lost their property. Uh, they've lost animals. Um, Mike Farnworth, the Solicitor General, talking about the Lytton fire here. It's just horrific. I mean, it's, you know, there was a, a, a thriving village um, there and, and, and now it's, it's burnt uh, beyond recognition. Um, it is just, it is just, it is absolutely horrific. Uh, it just, it just punches you right in the gut when you see it. Okay, Farnworth there, after a flyover of Lytton and taking a look at the aftermath of the fire, I really feel for everyone there, especially, you know, they're looking at the, the insurance claims there for people who maybe did not have insurance. 
in the village. You'll have to sort that out. I encourage people to support the fundraising efforts that are going mm-hmm. on here to help this community. But the, your thoughts? The government, look for the government at when everything, really when the dust is finally settled here and the smoke is cleared, the government's going to rebuild it. Yeah. Yeah. Horgan has made that commitment. That, that town will be rebuilt. It's not going to disappear. And it's going to be rebuilt with uh, tax dollars. And it's not going to be rebuilt as a modern, you know, faceless, uh, soulless type city. It's going to be built along you mean the you think, historical... You think the government's going to go in there and rebuild all those I do. homes? I do. And I, pay I, for I, it. I think they're going to... Re- I, I'm not sure about individual residences, but I think they're going to rebuild the ambulance center. They're going to rebuild any public buildings. Not sure about private homes, but maybe. Uh, there'll probably be some financial relief for that. But I think uh, the, the read I get from Horgan's comments is there's going to be a uh, serious investment by the province in getting that community uh, back on its feet. Okay, we started the show today talking about BC's emergency response system here in the last weeks and days, and it's really been hit. been kind of like a quadruple whammy because you had the heat wave, you've had the wildfires, you've had the opioid crisis, um, and what's the other one? I know there were four of them. Anyway, there COVID. was... Yeah, of course. And it's all happening during COVID. <laughs> yeah, so, so I, went, I went through the stats yesterday, and this is why the paramedics have run off their feet um, and really need some relief here, is before the pandemic, the average ambulance calls a day were about 1,500. Now, the fir- just take the first week of Ju- July, for example, over 1,900 every single day. So that's an increase of 400 a day every single day. Um, emergency room visits go from, I think, just before the pandemic, uh, and Adrian Dix has cited these stats in some of the briefings, about 6,800 visits. Now it's about 7,500 visits, I think. As we're coming out of this pandemic, as we're, as we're being more active and seeing more people and doing more activities, the number of people requiring health care is increasing. And that translates into more ambulance calls, more ER visits, just more access to health care. And so the paramedics who are on the front line are really feeling the, the pinch here because yeah. they are the ones who have to respond to this. Uh, there is a commitment to hire more paramedics or tr- take a lot of part-timers and make them full-time to revisit this somewhat ridiculous on-call situation. Um, but it can't happen fast enough. I think we're going to see a summer of uh, healthcare issues like we've never seen before because so many people, millions of people are suddenly engaging in activities and various things that we didn't do for a year and a half. And there's going to be some... Okay. Uh, some adverse uh, effects as a result of that. Let me play this real quick, and then we'll take some phone calls here. This is Warren Leader, who is the mental health coordinator for BC's Ambulance Paramedics. He was my first guest on the show this morning. Here's what he had to say. Uh, they start to cry, and they talk about having a patient in the back going, in particular during the heat wave, from home to home to home, and just uh, body to body to body. Uh, these sudden deaths of people that uh, they haven't been able to get to. And when I tell them they have to look at themselves, it's not their responsibility to shoulder the whole ambulance service onto themselves. They just tell me, and I might get emotional telling this, they just tell me that they recognize that, but if they stay home and they don't show up for work, all they would do is just be sitting there thinking about the people that, that didn't get an ambulance because they didn't show up. All right, Keith Baldry is my guest. Let's go right to your phone calls here. James in Vancouver. Hey, James. About the ambulance situation, yeah. Um, a friend of my daughter's was saying she's an ambulance driver. She was saying that it was so dire that people were driving with deceased bodies in the vehicles to the emergency wards or to the fire hall. Can you comment on that? If that's true, or uh, well, I, no way to determine if that's true. No reason necessary to doubt her, though. 
Uh, there, now, there is going to be a review of every single death. Every single death uh, attributed to the heat wave is going to be analyzed by the coroner service and by uh, the Center for Disease Control to determine the circumstances that led to that. Was there underlying health conditions? How old were they? What situation? Were they alone? Is the worrisome thing right now, just uh, anecdotally, a number of people may have just passed away alone in their homes. One of the things this heat wave exposes is that people thought you could take shelter indoors. Indoors was actually warmer and hotter yeah. than outdoors in many situations. Yeah. I have I have no doubt their paramedics showed up to help people and found people deceased. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I think, like, we talked to the, the firefighters uh, confirmed on my show. I spoke to Gord Ditchburn, who's the head of the Firefighters Association in BC, who said there were people coming to the fire halls who were desperately um, in in desperation in in a in, in a, because of the heat because they they just waited for the ambulance the ambulance didn't show up so they and, and there was one report of a guy who literally died on the steps of a fire hall after waiting well for I think ambulance. you're also going to see evidence that some people did not know what how how much distress their bodies were in yeah. in the heat wave because it does start to affect your your brain and how you think let's go to Jazz and Burnaby hi Jazz. Hey guys, I just had a question uh, regarding the areas that have the lower vaccination rate. Do those um, areas do they tend to sway more to one political party than the other, be it provincial or federal? Or well, I mean, the Peace River is historically very conservative. Um, I think what, there's a number of factors at play here. So the Peace has low vaccination rates. Part of the North Okanagan, some parts of the North, just outside Prince George, for example. A couple of things. A lot of people live in sort of remote rural settings, and they just haven't bothered to drive. What for them is probably a pretty a long hike to get to a vaccination clinic. Uh, so there's big areas of travel in the north and the interior, and people may have just decided, I'm not going to, uh, you know, spend a 90 minute or you know three hour return trip to get a shot in my arm. The Peace area is definitely a more conservative part of the province, and maybe there is more vaccine hesitancy uh, in that in that area. There's also, but, there's all, but if you take a look at a town like Nelson, which mm-hmm. is like an NDP territory. Um, there's vaccine hesitancy there too. Well, so, uh, Creston, for example, which is nearby, uh, has one of the lowest vaccination rates as well. Right. And that's a, that's NDP territory. Right. Okay, James and Burnaby. Hey, James. Hey, I feel like no one's really talking about this, but, and, and Keith said it's true, it's hotter inside than outside. And I know a lot of people can't afford ACs, but what almost everyone has is running water. And I feel like of the 700 people that died, maybe they should have been putting out a bit more PR into telling people to get in a cold bath or yeah. stuff like that. It yeah. seems so simple. Yeah, so my, uh, I don't know if you caught John Horgan's press conference yesterday, but that was my question to Horgan. In retrospect, you know, it's, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but could there have been more communication effort here to educate people on what was coming? Because there was an extreme weather alert coming from Environment Canada, but historically, we're used to getting those weather alerts, but they're associated with snow, rain, and wind, and we know what to do. A big snowfall's coming. Okay, I know what to do. We've never had an extreme heat warning like this. This was not a 34-degree heat wave like we saw in 2009, which was the last heat wave. This was a 38, 39, 40 in Metro Vancouver, which was extraordinary. Nobody had ever dealt with anything like this before, including the provincial government. And again, I think people should have probably, in retrospect, been given more information of how to to keep yourself safe. Squeeze in one more. Ed in Vancouver. Hi, Ed. you got to go quick. Yes, so very quickly, uh, my wife was... I called an ambulance because the doctor told me to. She had hysteria and um, took an hour and a half for the ambulance to come oh. while she's screaming in the house. Mm-hmm. In any event, when I got to the hospital, I think there's another side to this thing. Um, the triage capability of the emergence is so minimal 
that the paramedics have to stay with the patients until they're seen. And the para- two paramedics stayed with my okay. wife for two and a half hours. Thank you, Ed. I hope she. I hope she's okay. I had yeah. to step on you, but we're out of time. That triage probably varies from hospital to hospital. Uh, I don't think there's a uniform uh, situation. It will vary. Thanks, Keith. Talk tomorrow.